Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes for today's episode at my website, bloggingbistro.com. And speaking of confidently planning, launching, and growing a business, I have a special guest today who I know you are going to love hearing from. Her name is Tessa Afshar. Welcome, Tessa, to the podcast. It's so much fun to be here with you, Laura. One of the reasons why I invited Tessa to come and join us today is that this September, September of 2020, is Tessa's 10-year anniversary of being published. Congratulations on that. Thank you. It flew by in some ways. In some ways, it feels more like 100. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a full 10 years. Tell us about what's happening in celebration of your 10-year anniversary of publishing, because this is so exciting. My first book, Laura, was called Pearl in the Sand. I write fiction. I write biblical fiction for the most part. That's what I'm known for. Pearl in the Sand was a novel based on the life of Rahab. 10 years ago when it came out, it came out right during a time when biblical fiction was just in its infancy. And I, and I say that because biblical fiction has, been, has had ebbs and flows in the industry. But for a season, for a long season, the industry was not interested in biblical fiction at all. In fact, when I was writing Pearl in the Sand, fortunately, I was ignorant of this, but nobody was buying biblical fiction at all. So when I finally landed a contract, it was a very small, modest contract. Ten years ago, the book came out with Moody, and it sold out in three days. Whoa. So we, we had to go into the second printing after those three days. And it's now been translated into eight languages besides English. And to this day, we receive letters from readers around the world and in the U.S. Maybe my favorite letter was from a guy who wrote to say, I'm 250 pounds. I'm a construction worker covered in tattoos. And when I read the story, that scene with the pearl, I cried like a baby. So we hear stories like that. And I sat down with Moody and I said, listen, that was my first book. And I could, I could write better. I know I could write better now with 10 years experience. And do you mind if I do? And it had to be a limited edit. I I couldn't make all the changes that I wanted to because that would be ridiculous. But I did make a few changes. So it's been edited and also a few scenes added, a few tweaks made. Mm -hmm. And so we are releasing it, a whole new cover. We're releasing it in October of 2020. Oh, that is so cool. And is it going to have a different title or the same title? The title is the same, Pearl in the Sand. It's just the cover is changing. Yeah. Back when your career officially launched with Pearl in the Sand 10 years ago, you didn't have any platform at all, right? I was a little naive when I started. I speak to new writers who are seeking to get published today, and so many of them are very savvy. They're doing all the right things. They are listening to podcasts like this. They're going to writer conferences, and they're investing in knowledge and preparing themselves. I was not a savvy writer, and I didn't know anything. At the time, I did not have a website. I didn't even know what social media was. I'd heard of Facebook, but I, was, I had never been on it. And to this day, I'm just not technologically savvy. At the time, it was even worse. 
I think that Moody took a look at me and had pity on me. Now, they <laughs> really, they, they believed in this book, which is what you want from your publisher. But they yes. also had pity on me because they realized this girl knows nothing. And so they asked, would you, would you, could you go on social media? Just start with one thing. So we chose Facebook. I asked a couple of friends to help me. And Moody themselves then hired you, thank goodness. And you helped start a website for me. That was my beginning. I had no platform whatsoever. Have you stuck mainly with Facebook as your social media platform or have you expanded to other platforms? I have expanded. A couple of years ago, we started going on Instagram because what we realized was that my younger readers would go to Instagram and they really wouldn't be interacting with me on Facebook. I have some readers who are middle-aged and older who love Facebook. And I write all of my own posts, but I do have a helper who is wonderful and she helps with Instagram for me. So she posts everything for me. The content, I would say 95% of the content is all from me. And that's what the readers respond to. Uh, we also take a lot of our own photos. My husband and I, we like photography and he's actually the photographer in the family. And so we use a lot of our own personal images. But because I come from a background of ministry, I was in women's ministry full time at the time Pearl in the Sand came out and for years after, for 20 years. And it's only the past couple of years that I've been a full time writer. That's my background. And I use Facebook and sometimes Instagram in a way to reach out to women. 12% of my readers on Facebook are men. So the majority of my readers are women. So to reach out, encourage, strengthen, help people hold on, help people persevere. That's sort of what I'm all about. So for me, these platforms, and I think everybody hears this over and over again, they're not a place just to go and promote my books. Mm -hmm. Readers love that. And I do once in a while definitely have a season like this year was crazy for me because I had a couple of books coming out. But I do give book news and I do give things away, uh, books and other gifts. But most of the time, what I'm doing on there is just connecting with my readers through encouraging posts. Yeah. On a personal level. On That's a personal great. level. Very personal great. level. Yes. And tell us a little bit about your background, Tessa, because you do have a very interesting background. I know that you were born in the Middle East to uh, what you call a nominally Muslim family. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and, and how you ended up where you are now. I lived in the Middle East for the first almost 14 years of my life. And so my parents were nominal Muslims. Nominal Muslims are very similar to nominal Christians in that they believe in God in a general sense, most of them, but they are not practicing their faith. They consider themselves Muslims probably because they were born to it. But they, like my mother never wore the veil or they didn't pray five times a day. So when I was 13, my parents were divorced and eventually my mom, my sister and I moved out of uh, our country and I ended up in a boarding school in England, going to mm -hmm. a boarding school for girls. And while I was there, I was uh, sort of invited to go to church. It was a requirement. Every Sunday, you had to go to church, not because <laughs> it was a, it wasn't a faith-based school. 
But boarding schools in England are very strict and very traditional, and tradition meant on Sundays you go to church. So we were told to sit upstairs in the balcony and read our own holy books. Where our holy book was written in Arabic, and I did not speak Arabic, I spoke Persian. Christians have a very uh, different idea about uh, how you read the Bible, because for us it's so central to our faith, but for Muslims it's not a tenet of Islam. But if there is any benefit to be received from it, you actually have to read it in the original Arabic. So because I couldn't read Arabic, I decided, well, I'm not going to read the Quran. And I'm not going to try and argue with these teachers because I was brand new and I didn't have enough English even to do that. So I used to read upstairs in the church romance novels. And that's really... <laughs> that was your holy book. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's... I, I did learn some things about love, but I don't think it's what Jesus had in mind. <laughs> and that's that's sort of how my my romance with romance began, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I still like romance novels. I still like a good, a good romance novel when it's written well. Anyway, su suffice it to say, that's not how I became a Christian. But in moving to England, I lost everything. And by that, I mean, we left my dad behind and he didn't join us for many years. So I lost my dad. I lost my home, I lost my friends, I lost my school, I lost my dog, I lost our extended family, I lost our food, which is really good. I even lost my language, so I had to learn a new language. So here I am, a writer and a speaker, really, that's what I do, that's my full-time job. I write and I speak in a language that's not even my own. So God can do anything. God is yes. amazing. The kinds of doors he will open for you in life are extraordinary. So when did you end up coming to the United States, Tessa? I came when I was 17. So I did one more year of high school here, and then I went to college. And then for the most part, I've stayed here. I mean, in, in the midst of all of that, I went back to England for another year. And of course, I go back for visits a lot, but because my mom and my sister still live there. But this is my home. I'm an American citizen. I love the US. And I'm so grateful to God for bringing me here when he did. About what point in your life did you seriously begin your quest to write books? I always knew that I wanted to be a writer, like since I was a kid. But because my dad was a he was a doctor, a radiologist. And so he was very, and the whole culture was very practical, very pragmatic. And he believed in my writing gift. I, I remember he would read some of my stories and he would get tears in his eyes. But at the same time, he'd say, well, how's your math doing? How are your <laughs> sciences? Because the, the message to me was, you go get a proper job and then writing can be a hobby. If you are Leo Tolstoy, maybe you can be a writer, but otherwise, there's just no room for it. I'm glad I went to school and I had like a little bit of practical training, but the reality is I think God always created, created me to be a writer, but I did not have the confidence. So in my 20s, I tried a couple of romance novels and both of them received very positive responses. They said, we like this. We like your writing. We can't publish this particular one, but could you write some more for us? That was enough for me just to break because they said no. 
I didn't hear the, but we, we like your writing, try again part. I just heard the no part. Uh-huh. And I oh, gave yeah. up writing because I, I did not have the confidence. And when I became a Christian, of course, those parts of me that God had created in me, and one of that was writing, came back to the fore, came to the forefront, and the desire started percolating. And so that's when I finally was, I'm a late bloomer because of that. I had to be strengthened in my resolve, strengthened in my confidence, not in myself, but in God. And the fact that if he wants you to be something, he can make you that thing. He can open the right doors. Was that when you began working on Pearl in the Sand? Yeah. And I remember as I was writing that book during that year, I had a really difficult job it was exhausting. I, I worked 60 hours a week and I would come home and I would, I had given my word to God that I would finish this book. But every page was a struggle because I would have this voice in my background saying, this will never get published. Nobody will ever want to read this. This is so boring. This is terrible. This is the same book that now we are releasing for its 10-year anniversary because it was so successful. But those voices were telling me it was a waste of time. And I remember telling myself, you should just watch television. At least you'd feel rested. But I'd given my word to God that I would finish the book, so I finished the book, never really realizing what would happen. I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago and ask you a question for clarification. You said that you were working 60 hours a week and then you came home and were writing. So the 60 hours a week was not the the writing on your book. It was a different job that you held. Is that Yeah, correct? yeah, oh, absolutely. I had a day job. And in fact, for several years as I was writing, I think at the time, again, part of the fact that I was so naive as a writer, I thought the hardest thing was going to be getting a contract. And then after that, I could live on my writing. Like I could, Mm -hmm. you either do this job or that job. But that's not how it worked out for me. My contract was very modest. And I had to retain my job full time for a few years. And then I was able to go part time and write part time. Yeah, it was really uh, work part time and write full time. So it takes several years to build up enough readership that you can then make enough income, at least for me, that I could go full-time writer. You've had nine books published to date, and then you have The Pearl in the Sand being re-released later this year. So that'll be book number 10 in 10 years. That's pretty cool. You said that you had all sorts of self-doubt as you were writing your first book. Did those same feelings plague you in books two, three, four (laughs) through nine, or did it get to be less as you gained more confidence? There are variations of those feelings that have always plagued me and will always plague me. Maybe not to the same degree and maybe not in the same way. Like with book two, it was, oh my goodness, what if that book was all I had? Everybody seems to have liked it and maybe that was all I was meant to write. What if I can't do it again? One of the things I wasn't aware was that you could only write in one genre at the beginning uh, or maybe your whole life, that you had to stick to that. And so I'd always in the back of my mind thought, well, I'll do one biblical fiction and then I'll go and do historical. I love historical fiction. I never realized that there were all these rules that now you have to stick. And and I thought, I don't have another idea for another biblical fiction. What am I going to do? And so with every book, there are certain questions, certain 
struggles. I think I'm at that point now where I know I can write, but every beginning is incredibly difficult. Just getting the story and starting the story is very challenging. For me, at least, writing is a job for people who, who really have a great trust in God. Otherwise, I couldn't do it. I can't trust myself. I have to trust God. Your books are a combination of what you would call inspirational historical fiction and biblical fiction. Could you explain a little bit about what each one is? Biblical fiction is when you are writing about a biblical character or a biblical event. It's specifically around things that you read in the Bible. Now, I have books where a biblical character is present. So, for example, my second book, Harvest of Rubies, Nehemiah is a side character, an important side character. But it's not about biblical events. So technically, it's inspirational and historical fiction during the time of the Bible. Ah, okay. I like that distinction. Inspirational historical fiction during the time of the Bible. Yes. That helps me so much, Tessa. But it's a mouthful, so we can't <laughs> we can't put that on the book. <laughs> we'll just say it here on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. This this is absolutely only for the podcast. This is the Tessa Afshar version of inspirational historical fiction that no, I see. I forgot it already. Yes, it's a little too long. It has biblical stuff in it. <laughs> oh, boy. I want to talk specifically now about your latest two books, because you've had two books come out within a four-month period, Daughter of Rome. That came out in February of 2020. And then on June 2nd, 2020, you had your first nonfiction book come out called The Way Home, God's Invitation to New Beginnings. And that's a six-week Bible study on the story of Ruth. So let's start with talking about Daughter of Rome. Tell us a little bit about that one. And first, how would you categorize that one, biblical fiction or inspirational historical fiction? That's definitely biblical fiction. It's based on the story of Priscilla and Aquila. Obviously, it's fiction. Hey, everybody, first word. So <laughs> it's a reimagined story of Priscilla and Aquila. How do they meet? How do they fall in love? What are the things that stand in their ways? Who are they? And I based a lot of this on biblical research or on things that you can infer from the Bible or on historical research. And then from then on, there are threads in this story that brings you right into what we know about Priscilla and Aquila. There are only six verses in the Bible that mention them by name. Some of them are just greetings, but we do know quite a few things. And so there's one of them is they had to essentially leave Rome because the emperor told all the Jews that they had to leave Rome. So they had to leave everything behind. So a big part of the storyline deals with this and why this happened and what happened to them when they left. And then their connection with the Apostle Paul, their friendship. And the Apostle Paul says that they save his neck. In other words, they save his life. And so there's a scene about that. And this makes it biblical fiction, but also makes it a lot of fun. So oh, yeah. Did the fact that you left your own country of origin play into the writing that you did with Priscilla and Aquila having to leave their home? But I often seem to pick characters who are outsiders and who have to deal with loss. So 
here you have Rahab who definitely loses her home to total and utter destruction. You have Ruth. I have a both a novel and a Bible study on Ruth. The same. She has to leave her home behind and go. And then Priscilla and Aquila. I just seem to gravitate toward that experience. But I think we all of us, even if we haven't necessarily lost a homeland, have that sense of being strangers in this world to some degree, being odd outcast to some degree. And we're meant to. We were born in Eden. We belong in Eden. We long for Eden. And this place, well, it ain't home. So I write about that. Since you only had really six definitive Bible verses to work with to craft a whole story around, what sorts of research did you do to bring to life this story? First, we're told by the Bible, Aquila is a Jew and he's originally from Pontus. We know that Pontus had a community of Jews, very strong. We also know that Pontus was one of the countries that was present in the book of Acts during the impartition of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So there's a whole lot of things we know about Aquila, who he is. He's a Jew, and so let's put him on the shelf here. But who is Priscilla? Well, Priscilla's name, we're told, is Prisca. Priscilla is actually her nickname. Prisca is the female form of the name Priscus in Latin. And it is actually a noble family, well-known, that belonged to Rome. So they were Romans. So is Priscilla a scion of the Priscus family? Could be, or she could just have been actually a slave because these noble families gave the names of their most famous person to slaves all the time. But there's a problem with that if she was a slave because slaves were not allowed to marry and Priscilla and Aquila were married. So then I had to ask myself, well, was she a freed slave maybe? And she married Aquila. Well, the problem with that would be that the Romans very rarely released their female slaves. They did free their male slaves sometimes for great service, but not their female ones very often. So chances are that Priscilla is in fact a scion of this Priscus family, of a noble family. Now, here we have a story suddenly, mm -hmm. because you have a Roman from a high family and you have a Jew from Pontus. There's a lot of disequality here. He's going to have prejudices. She's going to have issues. And then what if I also give them some backstories where it gives them even more prejudices and more issues to get over? Now you have a really good story. Oh, I love this, Tessa. I can't wait to read this book. <laughs> it's so rare that we get to kind of pick an author's brain and find out what is going on behind the scenes in that brain of yours as you're coming up with this story. That is just amazing. And it sounds like you have been doing a tremendous amount of research and study and back to the origins, you know, the what if and what if this and what if that. I have a master's of divinity and that helps me research the Bible Mm -hmm. That helps me research the language. And I, I like it. I just like that process. And then I get to add my imagination and mm -hmm. all of that. The other book that has just recently released on June 2nd, 2020, is your first nonfiction. It's a Bible study. In the Field of Grace is the fictionalized story of the life of Ruth. And now you have a six-week Bible study that's on the story of Ruth. When I was writing in the Field of Grace, which is the novel version of the story of Ruth, 
I did a Bible study for women where we were studying it together. And as I was doing all the research, and you sort of just had a glimpse of how much research goes into these novels, I realized how much there was in the book of Ruth and what an amazing Bible study it would create. So at the time, my publisher was Moody, and I went to them and I said, do you guys want to do a Bible study with me? And the answer was no. First of all, they didn't really have a line of Bible studies for women at the time, and it wasn't the right time. And what's the rule? If you are, if you write fiction, you stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. <laughs> right, right. So I think they, they didn't want to, they didn't want to break my heart and say that, but pretty much they looked at me and they were like, honey, you write fiction. Like we, we, that, like that, that sounds wrong to have somebody who makes up stuff for a living, write A Bible study that even sounds wrong. So they didn't say any of that to me, but I think they must have thought it. But, and, and I, I tried a couple of other places and really I, we just got nowhere with it. And again, I think it was just that whole thing of stay in your lane. Well, a few years went by and Moody created a line of Bible studies for women. So they came back to me and they said, you know, all those years ago, you told us about this. Do you still have it? And do you want to work with us? And I said, like, do I ever? But between that time, and then I looked at their line and their in-depth and beautiful Bible studies that they create, that they write for women. They're not fluffy. They're just so um, meaty. And I thought, okay, I have to switch how I was going to do this Bible study, it's going to have to be a lot more homework, a lot more in-depth study. So it took me months. They were very graciously also willing to do a DVD teaching alongside it. So we have about 15, 20 minute videos for each section. It's a very in-depth Bible study that changed my own life in some ways because just seeing Jesus at that depth was unbelievable. So I am one of those incredibly fortunate people to whom God opened both doors. But as you mentioned earlier, a Bible study and biblical fiction, they have something in common. It's not like I decided to write nonfiction on weaponry in Japan. Mm -hmm. There is a cohesiveness, even though I'm writing two different things. Do you see in your future, perhaps the possibility of your other fiction books are the biblical fiction, perhaps becoming a Bible study, like the one we were just talking about with Priscilla and Aquila. Well, interestingly enough, I, I wrote a very, very short U version Bible study for Priscilla and Aquila, and it was it's a giveaway. It wasn't paid for that one, but that was just to draw more readers to sort of say, "Oh, there's here's a person who's also written the fiction. I'll, I'd I'd like to do the novel as well." So I've done a very short version of it, but the truth is, dear writers, that we have to work harder and harder in order to sell our books. And it doesn't matter how established you are. This has not changed. All of us have to do extra in order, and, and all of it is giveaway. A lot of it is just sort of free gifts. Things that you you have to do in order to draw new readers, fresh eyes to your work. So then they fall in love and then they stay with you, hopefully. Mm, that's a good word, Tessa. What are some of the things you said you have to work harder and harder? It doesn't actually get easier as you go along, although you have a, a larger audience than you did 10 years ago. But you want to get fresh eyes. You want to get new readers. And so what are some of the things that you have been doing recently, or maybe even over the last 10 years of your career that have worked 
for you to bring in those fresh eyes? One is not new, but it is that I'm more faithful in writing these mini podcasts that I put in Facebook and Instagram. They're very short, but they're easy and they're not about my books. They are to do with what I'm good at, which is sort of encouragement and addressing the difficulties and storms of life. Another thing is every once in a while, I get an opportunity from my publishers, like writing a U version or writing uh, for Proverbs 31 or writing for other blogs. You asked me to be a guest on this podcast, I say, Absolutely with bells on. So when I'm invited, I do things like that. Another thing that we are now all of us doing, of course, is we are able to go and be present to one another. So now I've started visiting people as they do the Bible study. I go in and say, hey, and pray for them. And they have a Q&A with me. That makes it more personal. Mm-hmm. Because, Definitely. you know, I'm, I'm part of that. You know, I like the fact that you intentionally to to your six-week study of the story of Ruth, to your Bible study, you added the optional DVD, which is, you said, 15 to 20-minute sessions with you. That's you speaking on the screen. Is that providing supplementary material to the person who's going through the Bible study? So it's not just you reading the Bible study out loud, but it's supplementary things that you wouldn't get just through the written part of the Bible study. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that was produced by Moody as well. It's very high quality videos. They are supplementary teachings. You don't need them to do the Bible study. In a way, you don't really need the Bible study to watch the supplementary material either. Do you have any words of encouragement that you could give to our listeners here in closing? This year, it was a crazy year. I had too many things that came out and we're going to try and avoid that crash of projects coming together (laughs) at the same time in the future. But the the reality is all of us have limited time and you have Mm -hmm. to decide what's the thing I love most that also has the most impact. And then you Mm -hmm. pour most of that into it. I have deadlines all the time. So I have to be faithful to my readers on a daily basis, but I also have to be faithful to my readers who are waiting for that book to come out. And if I don't write on that book, it's not going to get written. You just have to be very disciplined, which I'm not always, I'm guilty of really failing this sometimes. You have to be very disciplined about what you choose to do and what you choose not to do. A lot of my listeners are at the beginning of their publishing journey, and they're trying to figure out how to make this whole thing work and what to do in what order. What would you say to them to encourage them along this road? The first thing I would say is, remember, you're not at the beginning of your publishing journey. You are in the midst of your writing journey. Mm. And whether you're published or not published, the writing trumps everything because that's something that God put inside you. So write and enjoy writing. Have fun with it. Don't write because you want to get published. Write because you enjoy writing. The second thing I would say is when you do get published, Be mindful that small beginnings sometimes are powerful. So don't have this idea in your mind of this huge start. Be content with a small beginning because God's intention for your writing is very specific. And those are the doors he's going to open for you. 
it has nothing to do with your worth. It has nothing to do with your talent. It has nothing to do with the fact that he loves you or doesn't love you. All the stories you tell in the back of your mind that may be untrue. You have to be very mindful of those stories. But receive whatever opening he gives you with gratitude and run with that opening. Do not grow discouraged. You will hear a lot of lies in your head. I know I did and I still do. Resist the lies and do the thing that God created you to do. This isn't about being published. This is about writing for joy. Thank you, Tessa, for those encouraging words. Really appreciate that. And listeners, if you would like to continue this discussion, I invite you to join the Professional Writer Podcast community. That's our private Facebook group where we will continue talking about those small beginnings. So head on over to bloggingbistro.com and you'll find a link uh, to the show notes for today's episode. Some more information about Tessa. I'll have her bio there. I'll have a link to her website. You can get to know more about her and hopefully take advantage of some of the wonderful books that she has written. And thanks again, Tessa, for joining us this week. It was a pleasure having you here on the podcast. Laura, I really enjoyed my time with you and it's so much fun to see your face finally. Same here. And thank you everyone for listening. And I will be back with you again next week.